Hello and welcome. I'm Gary Scheib. Thanks for listening in as we continue to talk with leaders in our community. Well, February is American Heart Month. It's a good reminder to find strategies for preventing heart disease and encourage people to live heart-healthy lives. Who better than a cardiologist to educate us a bit this morning? We are joined today by Dr. Amit Parikh, a cardiologist with Pacific Medical Centers. Dr. Parikh, welcome. Thanks for coming. Thank you for inviting me. Hey, this morning we're going to be talking about, you know, the number one killer in our society, heart disease. And the thing about heart disease is that it is, for the most part, preventable, right, doctor? I mean, uh, this something. hey, something so bad, we can actually do something about it. It's kind of a good part of this topic, right? Yeah, I mean, there's, there's what we call modifiable risk factors and non-modifiable risk factors. Ah. And what you're saying, to some degree, is correct. Um, a lot of things that we do um, can be modified. And by doing that, can be very helpful and, pre- and, and useful in decreasing your overall risk for the development of heart disease as you age. Yeah. Um, there are certain things, of course, that we can't control, such as your age. Obviously, we all get older. Our gender, kind of picked with that when you first were born. Um, and um, family history. Those things are things that you really cannot uh, modify. But there are a lot of things that we do in the course of our day that can be changed, that can be modified to be able to help with decreasing your risk. Yeah, and that's hopefully we'll find out a few of those today. Uh, It's such a huge topic. There's no way we're going to cover everything about uh, the heart (laughs) in our half hour. But uh, gosh, I would encourage people to, as it is, uh, you know, heart month, and we're looking to be heart healthy, do some research. Look things up. Talk to a doctor, right? Go to uh, the American Heart Association and ask some right questions. And and you work with the Pacific Medical Centers. I do. Let's get a few basics here out of the way. Uh, you're a cardiologist. That's correct. Uh, so that means you specialize in the heart, right? I do. I do. So where do you practice? Tell us a little about Pacific Medical Centers. Yeah. Pacific Medical Centers is a large multi-specialty practice here in the Puget Sound area. Um, we have a uh, large number of clinic sites um, from um, as far south as Puyallup all the way up to the Bothell Canyon Park, Canyon Park region. Um, I'm a board-certified cardiologist. I've been practicing cardiology for about 10 years. Um, Pacific Medical Centers has a wide variety of uh, diagnostic um, and therapeutic testing and interventions that we can provide to our patients. Um, to be able to help them to better understand uh, what their risk may be for the development of heart disease and also to help to treat them um, in, the event, in the event that they do have the unfortunate uh, outcome of having a heart attack or a stroke. Yeah, that, so there's a lot of things in there. Stroke you just said, so let's define, I guess. When we say heart disease, the stroke is in the brain, but there's sort of the same kind of things that go on with uh, the blood and the heart and the way you, things, <laughs> the oxygen in your blood moves around. Or give me some definitions, I guess. There's heart attack, there's mm-hmm. cardiac arrest, there's atrial fibrillation. There's mm-hmm. all sorts of things when yeah. people talk about a healthy heart, right? Yeah, the heart is a very complex organ. And we commonly, when we think of heart disease, we think about heart attacks. And by far and away, of course, heart attacks being the leading cause of death Um, for both men and women in this country. That's what we focus most of our attention on as cardiologists. Treating the cardiac or coronary artery disease, which is what ultimately leads to a heart attack, um, is one of the uh, main things that most cardiologists will treat. Um, With that being said, of course, the heart has other 
portions to it and other uh, uh, sections to it that can also potentially lead to problems um, later in life, including issues related to valvular heart disease, issues related to the rhythm of the heart. The heart generates its own rhythm, and there can be alterations to that rhythm that can ultimately lead to issues such as um, rhythm disturbances like atrial fibrillation or uh, slow heartbeats that require pacemakers. Um, we commonly do think about coronary artery disease as the main thing that we typically focus on. Um, but of course, with uh, the heart being so complex, um, you know, we don't want to, we don't lose sight of all the other portions to the heart when patients come to see us at uh, Pacific Medical Centers. We look at the heart as a whole. We look at the heart as a whole organ and how it interplays with the rest of the body. And as, as we said more than once here already, it's the number one killer in America of both men and women, not any of the cancers, et cetera, that, that get a lot of, I don't know, airplay. Mm. Um, is that cross-cultural? Is that outside of America? Or is it just us Americans who have uh, poor cardio health? Um, in the United States, it is the number one killer for both men and women. Um, across the country, I'm mean, sorry, across the world, um, cardiovascular disease still remains one of the leading causes of death. Um, so it is not simply just an American problem. It's a, popu- it's a, it's a global problem. Mm. Uh, okay, so now let's get into some of those contributing factors, I guess. So it's not just the way Americans eat, it sounds like. It's not just the uh, fast foods and sitting around being lazy, mm. but that's a big part of it, I know. Smoking, I know we know this. We, there's a lot of things we have learned, right, over the last yep. 50, 75 years. Absolutely. And even more so, I guess, than the last 10, right? Absolutely, absolutely. You know, we as a, as a society in cardiology have spent uh, a, new, a significant amount of time and resources into knowing... Um, not only how to treat disease, but also trying to understand how to prevent disease. And at the moment, our main focus um, has really been on trying to educate the community about prevention, about trying to do uh, what is right to be able to take care of your heart. And that's including um, you know, nutrition, uh, smoking cessation, controlling diabetes, controlling cholesterol, um, we, it's extremely important to make sure that our community understands that these are things that we can modify. If you go back to those modifiable risk factors and those non-modifiable risk factors, um, the things that we can control are the things that we put in our body and the other diseases that can potentially put you at risk for developing cardiovascular disease down the road, including hypertension and diabetes. Um, and so prevention really should be the forefront of any conversation that a patient may have with their doctor when they come to see them. We don't want patients to have heart attacks. We don't want them to have heart disease. You want to see them uh, before instead of after. We, exactly. We want to see them We want to see them when they're healthy. We want to be able to control whatever risk they may have uh, early so that you minimize the chances of developing something very catastrophic like a heart attack, something very catastrophic like a rhythm disturbance, or something very catastrophic like a, heart, like a stroke, for example. We want to try to prevent those things. And despite the fact that we have all these advances in technology, all these advances in medicines throughout the last 50 years, unfortunately, especially in the United States, heart attacks still remain the number one cause of death for both men and women. So we have a lot of work to do. And I think a lot of what um, that work entails is education and being able to have our patients understand um, what exactly they need to do to better take care of themselves, and also to help them understand what their risk may be. Wow, that is pretty interesting. As you say that, you know, as a cardiologist and maybe the whole health industry, 
would much rather focus on prevention and education, we as a society have, <laughs> I don't know, it takes us a long time to slow that train down and turn it around and back it up, right? I mean, mm-hmm. we've got our ways set, well, you know, and that's maybe a whole paradigm shift of how the health industry ought to operate, <clears throat> and it's sort of being looked at now, right? I mean, yeah. the last t- 10 years or 15, <clears throat> so you know it's better, and especially for like a company, everyone who shows up to work, well, we give you insurance, but we'd much rather you use it to go and get a wellness check and mm-hmm. find out how to stay healthy, then we have to pay for your surgery later or whatever, right? And certain companies are, you... are looking at, uh, you know, t- tobacco cessation, for example, smoking cessation, and and, and being able to um, tell your employer that you quit smoking, and that can help to decrease your premiums when it comes to insurance yeah. uh, payments. And so there are strategies that are being developed and have been developed um, as part of that preventative cardiology or preventative strategy to help with um, decreasing a patient's or a community member's risk for developing a medical problem later in life. And this is, we're, we're talking specifically about cardiovascular disease in this particular topic, but it applies to everything. It applies to your overall health and not just for your heart, it's for the rest of your body as well. And so I think across the board in the entire healthcare industry, I think prevention definitely has become the forefront of, of how to um, uh, approach uh, health and mm-hmm. how to approach uh, patients as a whole. Well, as, as then I look backwards at, at what we used to do or the way we you know, and treat ourselves or not treat ourselves, um, was, did Americans always have this, maybe you don't know, uh, this kind of a heart problem, or was there mm-hmm. something that changed in our society in the last, I don't know, couple generations that where we've gotten soft? We sit around much more, uh, I don't know, yeah. is that a fact, or, or were statistics kept, you know, 10 generations ago? I don't well, know. I, I, think, I think we are looking at um, an obesity epidemic. I mean, I think that's pretty been pretty, pretty well established. Um, and with the obesity epidemic, comes all the problems that, that stem from that. And, and, and I guess that's good for me to let, hopefully I can interrupt you and say why. People don't say, well, okay, it's harder for me to walk around because it hurts my knees if I'm carrying an extra 65 pounds. But sure. the heart, I mean, why is that such a big deal that I, I'm overweight? What well, people keep saying that, I don't believe them. Right. So The heart's a muscle, right? Well, the heart's a muscle. It needs to be taken well care of, just like any other muscle. I mean, if you go and you have... Uh, an injury from uh, a workout, you're going to take care of that muscle. You're going to rest it. You're, you're going to put ice on it. You're going to put give yourself give yourself an anti-inflammatory. You're going to do something for that muscle. But what people may not necessarily know is a heart's a muscle that needs to be taken care of as well. Now you're not going to put ice on your muscle. You're not going to put on your heart. You're not going to give yourself an anti-inflammatory, for example, or massage your heart. But there are things that I think all of us need to focus on to be able to keep that muscle healthy. And obesity really is, I think, one of the biggest problems in our society. And with obesity comes all the medical problems that stem from that. And those things can include hypertension, diabetes, um, and, of course, having a sedentary lifestyle as as a whole can can increase your risk for uh, long-term health problems. But in particular, hypertension and diabetes. These are the two risk factors for heart disease in particular coronary artery disease and for stroke as well. And as patients have and community members have gotten a little less active, maybe have in, you know increased some weight in the last 100 years, 150 years, we're seeing an increase in the risk for cardiovascular death and cardiovascular risk because of increasing hypertension, because of increasing diabetes. And so, yes, I think 
that we as a society have reached for what's simple. You know, obviously everyone is very busy, everybody has lives, and they want to be able to maximize their amount of time for every little thing that they can do. That's so American, yeah. Yeah, but but, but what comes with that is the quick fast food or the sitting on the table or sitting at the computer for hours at a time and doing internet, internet searching or looking on Facebook or popping on Netflix or... Um, you know, playing video games. I mean, these yeah. are all the things that, as in the well, last fifty to hundred years, we're noticing is leading to increasing obesity. Yeah, even our uh, our suitcases and our garbage cans have wheels on them where they <laughs> didn't when I was a kid, and you had to carry your own suitcase <laughs> all the way to the airport. You know, and, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, we just would rather take it easy. Well, I mean, there's something in the brain that d- doesn't get to the. It's not good for you in the long run <clears throat> to do this. So let's talk about some of those. Uh, maybe changes we can make and, and habits so that we can kick, et cetera. Mm-hmm. We're talking this morning with Dr. Amit Parikh from uh, Pacific Medical Centers. He's a cardiologist. This is Heart Health Month, um, a different lifestyle. Okay, you mentioned those fast foods. It's easy to do this. Are, are there ways we can talk ourselves into new habits or getting rid of olds that you found do. as a as a cardiologist? Very you must tough talk to, do. to people all the time and say, you've got to learn this or mm-hmm. that. Yeah, it's very difficult to do, um, and and I think all of us, uh, we learn to um, we learn things the way that we learn things, and to be able to modify someone's um, lifestyle is probably one of the hardest things that we as cardiologists have to deal with and have to work on. And it's important. It doesn't happen in one single visit to a doctor's office. This I is wouldn't a, think. No. Yeah, absolutely <laughs> not. This is something that is a this. It's lifelong learning. And, and it does involve a lot of education uh, and a lot of teaching and a lot of time to be able to discuss what lifestyle modifications can be made um, to be able to help our patients with decreasing their risk. Now, for example, exercise. Let's take that for example. Obviously, we all want to try to stay active. And for some, it's easier than others. Um, time is a big factor, of course, and a lot of patients and a lot of community members will say, I just don't have the time. I can't get out to the gym Three times a week, I, I've two jobs, and I'm taking care of my kids, children. I got and the I got, dog. I yeah, got, yeah. And, and so and so going to the gym uh, three times a week when you have very little time is very difficult for a lot of people to do, and we understand that and we appreciate that. But it doesn't mean going to the gym. Exercise is exercise, and walking is walking. Moving is moving. So and if so, I have the dog, I feel I got to take care of. Take them on a little longer take walk, on a, a little, little walk, a, a walk that goes up the hill and down the hill instead exactly. of exactly. Okay, yeah, exactly. I mean, little things like that can actually add up over a period of time. How if about you, making a, a habit, a new habit, or new lifestyle change more interesting? Make it fun, or uh, you know, or join a group. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You know, if you have a, a, a group of friends that you want to get together with, turn it into an activity. If the weather is not well, is not great, which, of course, in the Pacific Northwest is for most of the year, uh, get indoors. If you want, take your team, go to the mall, take a walk around the mall, or do something on the indoors. Or maybe even if you're at work, take a, take a couple of your friends during the lunch hour and just go up and down the stairs a few times. Something very simple like that can make a huge difference. Yeah, that's cool. Um, and how about eating? I mean, a lot of us, we talked about fast food. Um, there's a lot, especially I'm thinking younger people are so into their smartphones and ordering things online. And now there's a lot of these, um, I don't know if they're clubs you have to join, but, uh, services that'll send you a box of fresh produce or something once a week or something, instead of you having to go to the market. And then they 
put those interesting things in there, right? Sure, I mean, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. It's something novel, something new that makes you enjoy a change mm-hmm. of, the, of your habit. Absolutely, yeah. I mean, especially for a lot of people who have very little time, those um, subscription services can be helpful. Um, they do, um, if, especially if you choose the right types of foods that get delivered to you, um, they can be nutritious. Um, you, should, of course, should look at the nutritional information that's provided if you're going to order something online from a, from a vendor because you want to make sure that what they're giving you actually is nutritious and not just quick. Obviously, everything can be quick, um, but we want to make sure that what you put into your body is also very nutritious as well. But those subscription services can be very helpful. They do provide you with uh, nutritious meals um, that can be, uh, can be a valuable uh, tool and a valuable uh, 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 alternative to just popping into the local fast food market, uh, store or potentially even eating something that you have at home that may not be very healthy for you, like a, like a frozen dinner, for example. Yeah, that people just microwave. I mean, that's probably a, a big change that has happened in the last generation or two in America is people don't know how to cook <laughs> like our grandmas did, yeah. I suppose, from fresh ingredients. Yeah, yeah. And my mom always tries to get me to cook better, too, and uh-huh. it's, it's, it's very challenging because nothing nobody makes food like mom makes. But, um, but yeah, it can be very difficult to, to cook nutritiously, um, so if that is an issue and it is a concern, then certainly looking at some of these online vendors for subscription services for food um, can be an option if you can afford it. And, and as we're talking about learning new things and, you know, the smartphone and the Internet are, are really keys that we can use to our advantage, um, it's sometimes confusing um, when I learned my cholesterol was real high many years ago. Now it's not just cholesterol. There's I don't know three parts of it. There's HDL and LDL and triglycerides and mm-hmm. and uh, you know now there's good fats to in, put in your body and fats to avoid mm-hmm. and trans three and saturated or unsaturated. I mean, give us the yeah, one silver so on well. You can you can you know your all these little ideas right? I just mean, swimming around in your head. So it can be is like overwhelming. The, the American Heart Association a good resource to find you know these kind of things right and and has the what does it used to be the Food pyramid. I mean, have they changed those kind of to places where we can educate ourselves? So, for, to answer your first question about resources, so the American Heart Association website does have uh, a large a large amount of information, a lot of educational material um, that is geared towards how to be healthy, healthy nutrition, exercise tips, smoking cessation guidelines. And, and, and options for patients who are trying to quit smoking. The American Heart Association does have a lot of information, and I would encourage everybody who's listening to go to that website and focus specifically on the one thing that they want to try to change. And there's a lot of information that's available to help them with that. Our website as well with pacificmedicalcenters.org um, also has information for our patients uh, in terms of how to help them live a healthy life. Um, cholesterol. Cholesterol is, um, we all need it. Every cell in your body has cholesterol, and we need some form of it. A lot of times we have too much of it, and that's what ultimately leads to problems like heart attack and stroke. LDL, in our particular case, is probably the most uh, harmful of the cholesterols. LDL is what we call the bad cholesterol. And over time, a high LDL causes plaque to build up within the blood vessels. This is like what we used to call hardening of the arteries? Hardening of the arteries, exactly. I'm old, see, I remember these old terms. Hardening of the arteries, plaque in the arteries. LDL cholesterol is one of the leading drivers for that. And so understanding that number by a very simple blood test that your doctor can do and and getting that information 
uh, can help to be able to understand what your risk might be long-term for a heart attack and stroke. And we can use the information from a cholesterol panel along with the doctor's visit to give a rough estimate about what a patient's 10-year risk might be for a heart attack and stroke. It's based upon a calculation that we can do in the clinic. So it's actually really useful information that your doctor can talk to you about um, if, you get that, if you get that laboratory testing done with your doctor. But LDL cholesterol is a big component of what causes plaque buildup. Triglycerides also um, have a potential for increasing plaque buildup, and that's typically through the fats that we have in our bloodstream. Um, HDL is also called the good cholesterol. It's so-called the protective cholesterol. I've always wondered why they decided one is called good and one's called bad. They both flow through your blood. Do the, are they separate? Or are they intertwined? They, they, and they flow through the they blood. They carry separate things or they don't? Or it, it, the, the way that uh, cholesterol is metabolized and processed through the body um, can be modified with good cholesterol. Okay. And so if you have more good cholesterol, it helps you to better metabolize the bad cholesterol. I see. Um, and so that's why the HDL number can also be pretty important as well. Um, but for most patients that we see in our office, we really focus on the LDL. That's the main cause. That, that number is the main cause for development of plaque in the circulation. And the research that's been done on cholesterol through the generations, not generations, but through the last several decades, has actually shown that a lower LDL cholesterol leads to a lower incidence or lower development of heart attack and stroke. And so as you decrease your bad cholesterol, your chances of developing a future problem with your heart, especially coronary artery disease, also goes down. That's cool. The research really is showing, and over years, yes, this is a statistic. You can count on this. Um, so that leads me to then treatment. So when you find through blood panel uh, workups, oh, your LDL is way too high. What kind of treatments? Is it just uh, medication? Are there other ways you can change through uh, either what you take in, what you do with your body, or et cetera? I don't yeah. know. So we always start with recommending changes in lifestyle. And it comes back to lifestyle. What so we, open the pantry. Is open, that one of the main things? Right. Look at what you have in your <laughs> open pantry. Open the closet and find some tennis shoes instead of uh, and hiking boots, et cetera. Exactly. Okay. Exactly. You know, put down put down the, the phone and maybe, you know, go out and take a walk if you can. Um, and also look in your pantry, look in your, your closets and see what types of foods that you're putting in your body can be eliminated. Um, I think that understanding... Uh, what you're putting in your body um, is probably one of the hardest things that people need to, uh, I guess it's probably one of the things that most people don't really quite have enough uh, information on. Mm -hmm. And that's where, once again, those two websites can be very helpful to get a better understanding about what types of foods are nutritious and what types of food may not necessarily be that nutritious. So the American Heart Association and PacificMedicalCenters.org both have a lot of really good information and even recipes um, for how to uh, eat healthy. Um, but looking at what you put in your body can make a big difference in helping to lower your cholesterol. Exercise, once again, the American Heart Association recommends about 150 minutes of exercise every week. Um, that roughly translates to about 30 minutes of exercise five days a week. So getting out and walking more, taking the dog out for an extra walk every day, taking the stairs at work instead of taking the elevator if you can. Um, all of these little activities can actually make a big difference in helping to lower your cholesterol as well without medication. 
there will be a time and there will be certain cases where medication is very beneficial. And that can be a discussion that you can have with your primary care doctor or with your cardiologist if you need one um, to talk about what potential benefits you might get by being on a medication versus the potential risk by being on that medication. Um, and there are certain patients who, despite their lifestyle changes or from because of other medical issues, require medications to be able to lower their cholesterol. But lowering cholesterol um, by changing nutrition or by changing your diet, um, by exercising, um, losing weight, uh, and then potentially medications, if need be, can all be very helpful in helping to try to keep your heart healthy. We are talking with Dr. Amit Parikh. He's a cardiologist today. We're talking about having a healthy heart. This February is always Heart Health Month, but as we said before, we turn on the microphones. Uh, you should pay attention to what your heart is, is shapes is in every month, every day. Um, well, before we run out of time, I want to go to one more sort of topic, and we're talking about good changes. Uh, can a good night's sleep uh, affect? My, the health of my heart? Yeah, I think we always recommend that patients try to get a good night's sleep. I mean, the recommendation is to try to get between seven and eight hours of sleep every single night. Um, and the reason for that is simply because a poor sleep habit can lead to poor lifestyle, and including increasing your amount of uh, foods that you eat, uh, maybe not eating the most nutritious meals, not getting enough exercise because you, re you may not have the energy for it. Um, and so trying to get a good night's sleep um, I think really is important in in, in uh, helping our patients to stay healthy. Um, and so, you know, whatever steps need to be taken to help with that, I think we would definitely encourage it. So that research has shown that over the last few years that in, at first, I don't know, does research so, well, this is causal, not necessarily, uh, or correlated, not necessarily causal. And it's then do they keep studying it later to find out? More, I mean, yeah, it's correlated. I think at this point, I don't think we have enough information to say that poor sleep directly leads to heart disease. Um, now, there is one condition in particular that can potentially increase the risk for atrial fibrillation, which is a rhythm disturbance with the heart, and that condition is sleep apnea. Ah, yeah. uh, sleep apnea is a very common condition. Um, it is a sleep breathing disorder where patients have an obstruction to their airway, meaning the back of their throat while they're sleeping. What can happen is that over time, the body changes and the, the physiology of the body changes and it can potentially lead to uh, a rhythm disturbance called atrial fibrillation, which is a heart rhythm disorder. disorder. Um, so that particular type of sleep disorder has the potential for directly causing harm to the heart. And so that particular disorder um, typically is treated with uh, with a CPAP mask or some sort of a breathing device at nighttime to be able to help to uh, treat the condition. Um, so there is a direct correlation there. But in terms of other sleep, uh, uh, in, in terms of other direct correlations, I don't think we have enough information that says that not getting a good night's sleep is going to lead to a heart attack down the road. But you're right. As you mentioned when you said it, the hypertension, high blood pressure. I mean, so as we wrap up, I guess I know I've learned this morning some numbers you need to know, uh, your blood pressure, mm -hmm. your cholesterol levels, and maybe the hours you get of sleep every night is, is one of those numbers. And I would also I would also include your sugar, too, your blood ah, sugar. Yeah, blood uh, sugar, Very yes. important. You know, diabetes, uh, with this obesity epidemic, is diabetes is one of the leading causes for heart attacks and for strokes um, because diabetes directly injures the blood vessels, and you form plaque when the blood vessels are injured. Right. And so I think if you're looking at numbers and when you're sitting down with your doctor and you're looking at what I can do to reduce my risk, 
One of the more one of the most important numbers, in addition to cholesterol, in addition to blood pressure, is knowing what your whether or not you may be a diabetic. And there's a very simple, easy blood test that can be done to be able to give you that information. That that piece of information, along with the others, is crucial. Wow. Hey, there's so much to learn, and we've we've just scratched the surface here. I think, Doctor Parikh, uh, we got to wrap it up though, because we're out of time. So, as you you know, leave people with with just one last thing. It's what is it about their heart in well, this month? The heart's very complex, but at the end of the day, it's very simple. Know your numbers. Know what your risk is. Have make an appointment with your primary care doctor to be able to look at those numbers. Very simple blood tests. Very simple in-office testing can help you to better understand what your overall risk might be for the development of heart disease. And I think that once you know that information, that sort of, that sort of information can be very useful in helping to educate you on how to lead a more healthy lifestyle. Beautiful. Hey, thanks for wrapping it up with such a nice, concise uh, finish there. We have been talking today with Dr. Amit Parikh, a cardiologist with Pacific Medical Centers. Uh, thanks for coming in today and sharing with us. Again, people should go online for more resources. Heart.org is the American Heart Association and PacificMedicalCenters.org. It, it, people can learn more about Pacific Medical Centers. And like you said, it's got resources there and learn about you too, I guess, if they look far enough and deep enough. Thank you so much for coming in and sharing today. Thank you. I am Gary Scheib. Thanks for listening today. We hope you've learned something new. Join us again next week as we continue to talk with people that are making a difference in our community.